Hey friends, this is Jonah part four. We're wrapping it up. This is the last one, and this is called... <laughs> I came up with a few versions of the title, but this is my favorite so far. The Cows? Sure, why not? That's the title. Because uh, why not finish a series on Jonah with a ridiculous title? Because this is a crazy book as well. So welcome. Thank you for listening. My name is John. I was trained as a pastor, and this is one of the ways I'm trying to do something good with that education I was given. So thank you for listening. We've been going through the book of Jonah, and we're wrapping it up. This is the first time I've ever done like a four-part series. So if you've enjoyed it, please let me know. I hope that it has been interesting maybe even funny to listen to every so often, but I appreciate the fact that anyone is even taking a part of their day to listen to this. So the fact that I am capable of doing this, just, uh, it's amazing. Thank you. So what we are going to do is read through the final chapter of Jonah and then wrap everything up. And uh, we're going to read through the book I'm going to say a few comments and then at the end have some final big thoughts, but uh, let's first do a recap, shall we? So in Jonah chapter 1, Jonah is told, let's see if we can do this in less than 30 seconds, right? Chapter 1, Jonah is told by God to go talk to his enemies and say, hey enemies, you got to shape up, turn your lives around. He doesn't do that. He goes the opposite direction, gets on a boat, but the boat hits a storm. Everybody there doesn't know what's going on, so he tells them to throw him overboard, possibly because he's depressed, he doesn't care if he lives or dies. Then, chapter 2, a whale comes along and swallows him whole. From the belly of the whale, he then gives a prayer. We don't know if the prayer is authentic, or if he's mocking, or if he's sarcastic. I think it's funniest if you understand him as being mocking in his tone, because at the end of the book, at the end of the chapter, it says, the whale vomited Jonah which I think is one of the best three words ever in a row in scripture that we call scripture. Then in chapter three, he finally does go around to Nineveh and preaches to his enemies. And guess what? The, the townspeople, the king, and even the animals turn their lives around. They all fast and they all repent in ways better and faster than his own people ever did, the Jewish people, the Israelites. And so it's supposed to sting a little bit. Wait a second, his worst enemies just turned back to his God faster than his people ever did? Man, that sounds like that was really masterful storytelling. But Jonah is only referenced at the beginning of chapter 3, that he gives the message and the rest of the chapter is about Nineveh turning their lives around to avoid destruction. And so here... In chapter 4, we pick up with Jonah <laughs> throwing a hissy fit. I, d I don't think I need to say anything more than that right now. So how about we begin, okay? Thank you for listening. This is Jonah, part 4. The cows? Sure, why not, okay? So I'm going to read it. Here we go. But Jonah, wait, sorry, but to Jonah, 
This seemed very wrong, that the Ninevites turned their lives around and that God chose not to destroy them. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Huh. It sounds like he's a, a petulant child or like a moody teenager, which I know I was at some point in my life as well. However... It says here, finally in chapter 4, that the reason why he ran from this gig at the start of it all is because he thought, ugh, God might forestall or actually choose to not send calamity. And so he ran in the opposite direction because he wanted the hammer of God to fall on his enemies. Have you ever felt that way? Now, what I really think is hilarious is in verse 3, it says, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is Jonah possibly being very much like how he was at the beginning of chapter 1, that he is a moody individual. And uh, it kind of reminds me, I need to do a pause and then tell a side story. I used to work at a camp and we had a friend Mo there who (laughs) it was always hilarious because anytime we would make any small request of him, he would quote this part of the book and he'd say, I'd rather die. (laughs) Like, hey, Mo, can you bring over that lemonade? I'd rather die. (laughs) You just go and embody the spirit of Jonah throwing a hissy fit. And so every time I read chapter four, I honestly, I think of my buddy Mo saying, I'd rather die. And then he would usually go get the lemonade and bring it over while laughing. But, oh, it was a good, like four month long joke over the summer. So let's keep going. All right. Verse four. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? That, that's a great question. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. So here he is throwing another hissy fit. So Jonah is angry, so he goes outside of the city and builds a fort. 
Have you ever been so angry that you decided to build yourself a fort? Now, apparently it was a pretty crappy fort because apparently he still needed shade. So it didn't have really good roofing. <laughs> so apparently, I mean, I guess it's true. Whenever any of us are frustrated, often our ability to do tasks efficiently massively plummets. And so Jonah's fort is a pretty lame fort. But God seems to have some compassion. And so he throws, he has this plant grow up and provide shade from the east wind, uh, from the sun. And then when the worm eats it, it falls over. And then there's the harsh wind from the east, which all across the Hebrew scriptures, especially in some of the prophets, there's a reference to the east wind. And that's known as being a judgmental wind or a wind that brings discomfort or destruction. I don't know if there's like weather patterns in parts of the Middle East, but when the sun rises, I guess there's a burst of heat and then the hot wind comes from the east and it's usually seen as a pretty harsh change of weather. So that's what he's experiencing. And um, <laughs> I just like the fact that he wanted to die, but he could have also have just gone back to the city where there was shade and probably food and water. Let's keep going. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plants? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. And that's Moe's line. Uh, I'd rather die. I'm so angry I wish I were dead. This is the third time that he is referenced within how many verses that he wishes he were dead. Things have not unfolded the way that Jonah wanted them to. And so he's angry. He's holding grudges. He separates himself from everyone else and goes, sits, and has a, a pity party in the corner alone in his own poorly made fort. And then just seems to continually tell God that he wishes he were dead. So he's not in any shape looking like a model prophet yet again. Apparently for Jonah, the only time that he looked good in this entire book was at the beginning of chapter 3 when he finally goes to Nineveh and finally preaches. But Jonah doesn't look too good as a prophet in the rest of the book. Let's keep going. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are, there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. And that's where the title comes from, because if you were to translate this properly, it doesn't just say, and also many animals. It actually is supposed to say, and also many cattle. So this book that has a prophet that runs away, gets swallowed by a whale, finally preaches to his enemies, and then throws hissy fits, this whole book finishes with God saying, I care 
not just about the people, but I care about their cows. And I just think that's hilarious. This book ends with, and and many cows. Now, there's something that you also need to know. In desert culture, the right hand and the left hand were very important hands. Because there was no such thing as toilet paper. And so you'd have to separate certain hands for certain tasks. The right hand was usually the one for clean tasks, sometimes religious tasks. The left hand was often used for going to the bathroom and other dirty tasks. And so here's a city that can't tell its left hand from its right hand. I mean, come on. These people don't even know how to go to the bathroom. That's how mixed up they are in their own life. They're using their right hand for left-hand tasks and their left hand for right-hand tasks, maybe going back and forth. And so they're not even, like I said, they don't even know how to go to the bathroom. And so here is Yahweh saying, I, I care about these people. Yeah, they have done terrible things, but... They don't even know the basics. Of course I'm going to care about them. There's a lot of them here. There's 120,000, and I care about all their cattle. It's almost as though God knew from the start that this whole city needed to have the threat of punishment in order to start shaping up so that they can grow up from their infant-like ways of dealing with themselves and one another. So in some sense, this was the task, or this was not only meant to help, sorry, Jonah's job was not only to go and preach repent, but also it was around about telling the whole city of Nineveh and its king to grow up. There's something really profound here. And uh, to go through this book and to think it's just about the whale, you're missing stuff. In fact, you're missing poignant and profound statements sprinkled almost in every single verse. So here's some things. Let's let's wrap up this chapter, and then we're going to try to wrap up the whole book. Okay? Here we go. When you see good things happen to the people that have hurt you or are your enemies, let's say people who have disappointed you, legitimately hurt you, or hurt the people you care about, are you prone to get angry just like Jonah? Chances are yes, probably me too, okay? Every single one of us is part of the human condition. We don't like seeing good things happen to people who have hurt us or those we care about. And so sometimes we're prone to be just like Jonah, right? And to separate from the community, to pull ourselves aside, and then just throw hissy fit after hissy fit. And you know what? It's really not at all thriving to go and live in a pathetic fort made out of anger. And that's something that even though this book was potentially written, man, in the late Bronze Age, we've got to stop and realize that these themes still happen today. 
how many of us are prone to go and live in a crappy fort made out of anger because we're throwing a hissy fit that divine goodness came to our enemies. That's a really big deal. But one of the best things about this book, second point, I guess, is that in the economy of divine grace, the divine cares about our enemies more than we want. And we've got to just get over it. We've got to just sit down and realize, okay, I, I didn't make them, but maybe I need to step back and get off of my high horse. Because not only does the divine care about our enemies more than we do, the divine also cares about their pets, <laughs> about their cattle, about their sheep, about their goats, about whatever else they got going on. And there's something profound in this because a lot of people think that the Hebrew scriptures have got a different kind of God than is spoken of in the New Testament. But this book tells us that grace was always baked into all of it. Grace was always at the heart of this Yahweh. There has always been divine goodness swirling about trying to find ways to flow out to anyone who can receive it. And so this book, I think, it actually hits very, very deep at this singular core idea. We often want retribution, not restoration. That's it. And I know I mentioned this last time, but when we get stuck looking at the book of Jonah, all right, thinking that it's just about a whale, and then when we get stuck in questions of historicity, which although in 2 Kings there is a reference to Jonah, son of Amittai, who was a prophet, we've, we've got to stop and realize that as long as we're bickering about the historicity, we're missing some of the the most profound points. And I'm going to say this whole book is circling in very creative ways around this final topic that lands with a punch at the very end that maybe we shouldn't want retribution for our enemies and instead we should want restoration for them. What does it look like for you and I and everyone else in the entire world to give up the desire for retribution and instead chase after restoration? Last night, I was spending some time with some high schoolers and I was kind of riffing in the moment and uh I came across saying out loud this definition of holiness, which really stood out to me. And it, it kind of comes from Mercia Eliada, too. And, and it's this. Holiness is when you and I choose to repeat the story of God in our own lives. So that means... Let's say Genesis. I, I love going back to that one. In the Genesis poem, 
God sees that there's evil or chaotic waters happening. And so he puts limits to it, confines it, puts to the side, and then starts the creative process. Holiness then would be for us to find the chaotic evil in our own lives, search it out, to put limits on it, confine it, put it to the side to deal with it, and then turn our backs to it and put our energy towards more creative uses. In this book, how can we repeat the story of God in our own lives? Well, in this case, what would it look like for you and I to go up to other people and tell them to go to their enemies and try to help their enemies become restored? You see, a lot of us want to join some of our friends in the desire for retribution. But the book of Jonah has God telling Jonah to preach repentance and to be okay with it when it happens. We can repeat (laughs) the story of God in our own lives by going to our enemies and offering grace and being slow to to anger. What's the phrase? Jonah says, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. We can repeat the story of God by ourselves being gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and to be a people that relents from sending calamity to our enemies. You may think that this story from the potentially late Bronze Age may have nothing to say to us today, but could you imagine what the world would be like if every single one of us were to try to be gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and to relent from sending calamity to our enemies? And instead, being okay, and maybe even celebrating when our enemies turn their lives around. You see, this is actually, this is one of those instances where uh, I think the Bible, it actually contains stories that, that really do resonate with every single generation of human existence since it was written, and hopefully for a long time from now on, because The stories of the scriptures seem to consistently hit upon themes and topics and ideas and questions and fears and angers that we still share today in the year 2019. Every single one of us have got enemies or people that have disappointed us, people with whom we would rather run in the opposite direction rather than go towards them and help them turn their lives around. Every single one of us have the option of repeating the story of Jonah rather than the story of God, to be anti-prophets rather than being compassionate people that seek the restoration of others. So go back, 
Maybe don't listen to all four of these episodes again, but instead go and sit down and read Jonah in one sitting. You can do it in less than 10 minutes. It's only four chapters. You could probably do it in less than seven minutes. Read it in one shot. I broke it up over four weeks, but this is a book that's supposed to be digestible and maybe even it's something that's something that you could memorize. And if you were to do that, then you would even embody this story in a deeper way than, than even I have because I don't have it memorized. But let's finish with this. The story of Jonah is not about a whale. The story of Jonah is about how we often want retribution on our enemies rather than restoration for our enemies. And so may the book of Jonah challenge you in that way. To be a person that seeks for healing, for wholeness, and for the restoration of people that are broken and people that are hurting and therefore are hurting other people. All right? You have been a delight. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll check in again in the next episode once again. You are delightful. Thank you for listening. May grace and peace be with you.